I say good morning after that. Um, my name is J.P. Duvendeck. I'm the student ministries pastor here. I'm very excited to be uh, teaching this morning. We're going to be diving into a story where Jesus took his disciples to a region called Caesarea Philippi. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. Um, aside from football season, what is the most distracting week to prep for a sermon? Shark week. I love Shark Week. I don't know if you guys watch Shark Week, but I've been staying up every night watching Shark Week. I just get so caught in all of these shows, and I have no idea. You know, most shows you can count on the good guy wins, right? I have no idea if these scientists win or not until the very end. And sometimes they're like, yeah, we finally got what we've been waiting to come to South Africa for for a year. Or they're like, huh, well, the mission's a dud. We'll come back next year. Right? And I'm like, I hope that episode's on tomorrow. Shark Week is so uh, fascinating to watch, but it's also a distraction. It's a distraction from world headlines like that. That we just can't bear to watch. Let's jump into Matthew. We're going to read it, we're going to talk about it, then we're going to go back and read it some more. So uh, we'll get a couple of passes at this. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I want to back up really quick and just look at the place where they are. They went to a region called Caesarea Philippi. right? And we have a a map here. At the bottom is the Sea of Galilee. And they were likely at Bethsaida at the start of this journey, which is just to the northeast side of it. And then way up at the red dot, it's about 25 to 30 miles north to reach Caesarea Philippi. And it's at the foothills of Mount Hermon, which you see kind of extending off the screen there. So it's at the foothills of Mount Hermon, this place called Caesarea Philippi. This city was a gift. I don't know what kind of people you need to know to get a city as a gift. But this city was a gift from Caesar Augustus to Herod the Great. Okay? So Caesar Augustus gave this city to Herod the Great. Herod's son, Philip, then rebuilt this city and named it after Caesar Augustus and himself. So it's Caesarea Philippi. And he rebuilt it. And this is likely what it looked like. And what we see here, again, it's a city on the foothills of Mount Hermon. And it's on this big rock facade. This big, well, not facade, this big rock cliff. Um, And that rock was referred to as the rock of the gods. The rock of the gods. Because they worshipped many gods here. One god in particular, they worshipped a Greek god. He was half goat and half man. He was known as Pan. And he plays the little pipes. And um, he was a fertility god. And um, back to the, the picture of Caesarea Philippi, all the way to the left, that building to the left is the Temple of Pan. 
And that's where anyone who worshipped Pan would go there to worship Pan. And just to the right, there's a big platform. And that's where they had nymphs and they would dance the dance of the goats. And they would have goats that they would do unspeakable, horrific things to. Wherever your mind just went, it's that bad and worse. And I'm not going there. Behind the temple of Pan, you see a big black cave. That black cave is a spring. Not the coil spring, but a water spring. And it fed the Jordan River. And uh, Josephus, the uh, great historian, actually said that it was a bottomless spring. Just endless. It was full of water. And this is where they thought that Pan returned from hell. And it gave this place the name, the Gates of Hades. Or the gates of hell. So if you think about some of the the idols that we may worship in our culture or some of the awful things that we we may do in our culture and you think, what's the worst of the worst? You may have different cities or whatever, but one that comes to mind is Las Vegas because it's called Sin City. Well, let's just say Sin City is nothing compared to the gates of hell. They actually believed that that cave was the entrance of To hell. And it was such a despicable place. In fact, many Jews were taught that you shouldn't even visit Caesarea Philippi. You shouldn't even visit it. So let's jump back into where Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Son of Man is kind of an interesting phrase, and it's, it's from Daniel um, chapter 7, verses 13 and, uh, 13 and 14. Um, and it means a ruler of heavenly origin who would reign over a universe or an eternal kingdom. A ruler of heavenly origin who would reign over a universe or an eternal kingdom. So who do people say the Son of Man is? And they say, some John the Baptist, others Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But you, who do you say that I am? And now we're in the midst of standing near the gates of hell, near this awful place that no one wanted to be around. And you can hear the angst in Peter's voice when he answers, Simon Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Juxtaposing Jesus as the son of the living God as we stand in front of this grotesque place that worships all these false gods. And I love that Peter answered that way. Up until that point, no man, no human, now that doesn't count God and that doesn't count demons, but no human had ever called Jesus the Messiah. This was the first 
moment in history that a person called Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus later said in verse 20, he said, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. But this is the first instance. Matthew, in his gospel, which was written after Jesus died and resurrected, he bookended his genealogy with, this is the history of Jesus Christ, which means Messiah. And then he went through the genealogy and he said, Jesus, who is called Messiah. So both ends of the genealogy have Christ or Messiah. But no one called him Messiah until this point at Caesarea Philippi. When they're standing in front of the gates of hell. Sometimes I look at our news. I look at our headlines, like the videos, uh, uh, the still pictures we saw earlier. And I think, is evil winning? Maybe you echo that thought. And let me just say that I was very selective in those images. There are thousands of images of the evil of mankind, of mass genocide, of mass shootings, of evil and wickedness. And I think, is evil winning? We're going to watch a video. And as we watch, I want to ask you this question. I want you to pray and think about what in Toledo, what in Sylvania is our battleground. And let me define that. So they were standing at Caesarea Philippi where false gods have taken over this place. So what in Toledo or Sylvania is our battleground. In other words, a place that could be called the rock of gods. A place where people worship something other than God. A place that's twisted, a place that's perverted, a place that's distorted to the point where you want to avoid it. To the point where if we as the church avoid it, then hell may win. Think about that question as you watch this video. The local church is the hope of the world? No, as a matter of fact, God no longer dwells here. I don't believe that joy is a possibility, that our lives are better lived in community, and that we are called to love each other radically. The truth is, the church is on the brink of extinction. I refuse to believe that we are part of a story larger than our own, and we have been changed to bring change. Don't be fooled. Poverty is too overwhelming. Racism can't be overcome, and evil will never be defeated. It's impossible for me to believe things will get better. In the future, it will be evident God can't help, and you're wrong if you believe God can I am convinced that you can't turn things around. I would be lying if I said God cares. But you should know I believe exactly the opposite. God cares. I would be lying if I said that you can't turn things around. 
I am convinced God can, and you're wrong if you believe God can't help. In the future, it will be evident that things will get better. It's impossible for me to believe evil will never be defeated, racism can't be overcome, and poverty is too overwhelming. Don't be fooled. We have been changed to bring change, and we are part of a story larger than our own. I refuse to believe that the church is on the brink of extinction. The truth is that we are called to love each other radically, that our lives are better lived in community, and that joy is a possibility. I don't believe God no longer dwells here. No. As a matter of fact, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. I refuse to believe that the church is on the brink of extinction. I refuse to believe that. Those of you that thought Shark Week wasn't going to come back, I did catch this show this week called 47 Days Adrift. Have you heard of this show? Have you heard of the story behind it? It's, in, it's based in World War II. And there's a, a, an Olympic athlete from Italy came to America, and he was fighting in World War II, and his plane went down. And he and three survivors of the plane were on a raft. Uh, three survivors from the plane crash. Two of those people survived, and they were at sea for 47 days. 47 days. They had a couple rations of chocolate and a couple cans of water, but not enough. Probably not enough for a week, but they were there for 47 days. It's almost seven weeks floating in the ocean. So it's a marvelous story. They made a movie about it. It's called uh, Unbroken, I think. Unbroken. Um, and later the two, uh, after being attacked by sharks and shot at by Japanese planes, um, they do get rescued by Japanese, and they get taken back to a Japanese work camp and forced to work and tortured and starved. And then they still survive that too. And Louis, the main character, um, after World War II, actually flies back to, to Japan. Now, both of my grandfathers fought in World War II, and um, neither one of them ever got on a plane again. They, they stayed uh, as close to home as they possibly could. Um, and this guy got... So, so this is what catches this about this story to me. It, it catches me because he got back on a plane and not only went somewhere else, went overseas, but he went back to Japan. And he, he, he went back to forgive the leader of that work camp that tortured him. It's an absolutely amazing story. It's very difficult to watch, but, but worth, worth the movie. Um, but the, the Shark Week episode was focusing on what it takes to survive 47 days at sea. And what it took was the will to survive. The will to survive. Those that said, we are going to get home. We are going to be rescued. We are going to find land. It was the will. And I think that's important here because we're face to face in whatever battleground God laid on your heart during that video. Whatever battleground you see right here in Sylvania or right here in Toledo, we are face to face with evil. 
And we have a choice of whether we want to just give up and say, that's it, evil is too strong and I, I can't overcome this. I'm too weak. Or we have the choice to say, no, we are on the winning team and we will not let evil prevail. I don't know what battleground God laid on your heart. For me, it's the schools. I'm not saying that school administration or school students or teachers are representatives of the gates of hell. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is a battleground. It's a battleground that we need to keep our feet on the front lines. Because evil is trying to get in. So let's jump back into Caesarea Philippi and see what Jesus does. Verses 17 and 18, and I'm going to read verse 16 as well. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it, or the gates of hell will not overpower it. I love that. I love it. Now, I I know that there's different interpretations of of what Jesus is referring to when he says, on this rock I will build my church. And I just want to look at those. so he, he says this. He renames Simon Peter. And uh, it's generally understood that Peter means rock. And then he says, so he says, you're, you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And Peter certainly played a big part in the early church. But when we look at it the way, and this is beyond me, I looked up resources. and um, the, the Greek, I don't know Greek. My wife knows more Greek than I do because she's a math nerd. But um, it says this, uh, Jesus said, you are, uh, and, and I say to you that you also are called Peter, or Petros, the Greek, Petros, which means a single pebble or stone. A single pebble or stone. So he says, you are Peter, or Petros, a single pebble or stone, and on this rock, Petra, On this rock, Petra, which is a rocky crag or bedrock, or, and if we could jump back to the picture, or a steep, rugged mass of rock or cliff. So now, some people interpret that on this rock as Peter, but knowing that the word in the Greek that he uses is a little different, and it means this steep, rugged mass of rock or cliff. Jesus isn't saying, on Peter I will build my church. He's saying, on the very gates of hell, on what is representative of all the evil in the world, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. This is awesome. This is awesome. Because I know that I am not the epitome of wonderfulness, 
I'm a pretty messed up person, right? And I'm sure that you feel the same way. And I know that if God can build His church on the gates of hell, on the very epitome of what is awful in the world, then He can use me. He can use me. And He can use you. We have an opportunity to be on the winning team where that does not prevail. Praise God. So Petros and uh, Petros and Petra is one reason I believe God is saying, or Jesus is saying, on this rock, on the gates of hell. The other reason is because he's a rabbi. And rabbis would always use what's around them to teach. We could really learn a lot because we stand on stage and we rarely ever use anything. Um, but to use something around it. So Jesus is in the fields and he's saying, hey, the flowers of the field and the birds of the sky don't worry about tomorrow. He's saying that because his disciples are in the field and they can smell the flowers in the field and they can see the birds in the sky. And so Jesus took his disciples and they traveled 25 to 30 miles to go here. They probably went by foot, and average foot speed for a journey like this is about 18 miles a day in the first century. So it took them a day and a half, at best, to get there. And I don't think that he took a day and a half to get there. This is the only recorded interaction. And then he goes back for another day and a half just to say, Simon, you're going to be called Peter, and on you I'm going to build my church. And again, I'm not downplaying what Peter did or what the disciples did in the early church. I think he traveled a day and a half to say the gates of hell doesn't stand a chance against me. Yeah. Amen. I don't know what battleground God put on your heart. But the gates of hell doesn't stand a chance. I want to call the band forward and I want to look at two quick truths that we can pull from this scripture. And then I want to look at an application. The first thing, we don't need to fear the gates of hell. First century Jews were taught not to go to the gates of hell, not to go to Caesarea Philippi. We don't need to fear it. Jesus says that we will win. The second thing, Jesus will take what we see as unredeemable and he will build his church there. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now again, my, the battleground God laid on my heart is the schools. I've been a, a student uh, pastor for about 17 years, and I've always had a difficult time uh, building a good relationship with schools where I can um, easily uh, step foot on their campus and, and they come to us with, with issues and ask us for help. And I've just had a, a difficult time of doing that. 
a couple of weeks ago, I took some students on a, on a retreat, some student leaders. And I, we, had three, we broke off into three groups. And one of those groups is planning and leading through our fall launch, which is this August 16th from 6 to 9. Be praying for it. These students are planning it, and they're leading through it. And I'm so excited about the ideas they've got. We're going to have a carnival, and we're going to have a dunk tank. And uh, one of these students even approached a couple of members of our community and got two verbal commitments to be in that dunk tank. One is the principal of Southview. And the other is the principal of Northview. How awesome is that? And I'm telling you, if students don't want to come dunk their principal, then I don't know what's going to get them here. I just love that this is happening because it shows that no matter how difficult the thing is, no matter how unredeemable it looks, the gates of hell will not prevail. And I, again, I don't know what God laid on your heart as a battleground. But I want to say this. If we don't step up into those battlegrounds and take our opportunities to be used by God, then we will continue to see headlines like we saw this morning. But if we step up as Christians and we set foot in our battleground and say, I refuse to back down, I'm on the winning team, I don't know if I'm going to get hurt, I don't know if I'm going to get taken out, but the body of Christ will live on. Then the gates of hell will not prevail. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You for all that You've done for us. I thank You for conquering death, sin, hell, and the grave. And I thank You that the gates of hell will not prevail in Caesarea Philippi or in Toledo or in Sylvania. And I thank you for giving us the opportunity to be a part of that battle. It's in your name we pray.